gather myself. All right, you guys, announcements for this morning. First of all, I just want to extend, or we wanted to extend a huge thank you to everyone who came and served and helped out and just showed up with great conversation at our brunch last week in the parking lot. Um, such a beautiful thing that we get to do together to sit around tables and um, we don't realize until we go out into other spaces what a rare thing that that is. And so thank you for taking a risk with us and being willing to do that and being friendly towards people that you don't know that well and just being family together. So thank you to everyone who brought in casseroles, who led tables, who set up, who tore down. That was a lot and it was just really fun. So we can't wait to do it again, but not anytime real soon, right? Am I right? Yeah, you need a little bit of time. Um, an announcement that I have, and we announced it a couple weeks ago, is that we have a need for some people to join our groundskeeping team to mow and to weed and to edge and just basically keep this space looking inviting and um, like a place that feels like home to all of us. And um, particularly, they're needing help with some people that have strong backs, that's what I'll say, that can lift some of the heavier equipment and that kind of stuff. And then the second thing that they need help with is someone that might be willing to come every once in a while in the middle of the week to water. Um, you know, when I was in charge of things, it was like we had a conversation with the plants and said, survival of the fittest here, you know, if you don't survive. And a neighbor would text often and say, the roadies look dead. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to die. Um, but now that we have this groundskeeping team, it is beautiful. And they're actually blooming. I haven't seen them bloom in a while. So I am so grateful to Tim and Manette and for their team that works so hard to keep this place um, going and so if you would like to join that team you get to be up you're not all by yourself it's not a solo mission you get to connect and hang out with people and if you might be willing to do that would you text the word grounds to the Brookview number or you can also indicate your interest on the connect card and for those of you that are watching online today you can go to brookviewchurch.com and fill out the online connect card as well. Those are all the announcements that I have for you. I'm going to hand it off to Bryce this morning. And the end. I, I, yeah, blink. I went blank. weekend. Thank you, Pastor Jason, for the invite. Um, get to be a part of this I Am series. And uh, thanks, Jen, for doing my slides. And I have to say, uh, 
I play guitar too, and so when I saw that string break on Tony's guitar, <laughs> I know that feeling because as a guitar player, you find your position for chords, you feel the strings underneath your fingers, and all of a sudden one finger's coming down and it's just on the fretboard and there's no string, you know? But uh, good news is this, he's putting on a fresh string, he'll be back. <laughs> he'll be back, all right? Looking forward to that, I love the worship here. I think I'll start this way. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook, and if it's on Facebook, it is probably true, <laughs> right? Here's what she said. So I woke up and my dog is laying on the back patio covered in dirt with a rabbit in its mouth. The rabbit's not bloody, just dirty. My neighbor's kids raised blue ribbon rabbits. I instantly knew it was one of theirs. I took the rabbit away from my dog, rushed inside and washed all the dirt off it before my neighbors would come home. It was stiff, but I heard that some animals play dead when they're afraid. I just couldn't remember which ones. I took it and placed it back in one of the cages in their backyard, and then I zoomed back home. Don't judge me. Not 30 minutes later, I heard my neighbors screaming, so I went over and asked what was wrong. They told me their rabbit died three days ago, and they buried it, and now it's back in the cage. Oops. <laughs> I'm so thankful that we serve a risen Savior. He's alive and well. There's never been another like him, nor will there ever be. He's unique in his person, his character, his mission. No other religious leader has atoned for the sins of mankind to restore us into relationship with our Heavenly Father. No other person claiming to be God has died and rose again to life, and I have the incredible privilege of sharing words from his mouth, words of life and hope today. As Jesus walked on planet Earth in a human body, he taught about himself and his kingdom, and one of the common ways of expressing spiritual truth was the use of parables. Uh, sometimes it would start out like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, or sometimes he'd just launch into a story a farmer went out to plant his field, and parables are real popular in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we get to the book of John, and John is unique. In this way, there are statements that Jesus says about himself, and they're I am statements, common imagery and metaphors and word pictures that people of that day would easily understand, but on a deeper level, he was sharing who he really was in his person. And these statements all point to the truth that Jesus is the answer. He is what the world needs, and he still is what the world needs today. We're going to look at John 10, verses 1 through 10 today. And uh, these words of Jesus really come as a welcome and a warning, uh, an invitation and an indictment. Uh, the audience that Jesus is speaking to on this particular day, if we look at the previous chapter, it mentions disciples, it mentions religious leaders, the Pharisees, and then it mentions the Jews, that probably just local people watching Jesus, hearing what he's saying, having, having differing thoughts and having questions and wondering, is this man really who he says he is? Is he really from God? Is he someone we can trust? Is he someone to follow? And so in John 10, Jesus is really going to bring the answer back with an I am statement, and he's going to declare, I am the gate. 
I am the gate. It's interesting in these 10 verses, you might say they kind of come in two segments. The first part, the first five verses, Jesus is using this imagery. Verse six suddenly comes in a transition point, And then you get through verses seven through 10. And the reason it's kind of in two sections is that first part, he gives an Im, uh, some imagery that they would certainly understand in that day, but they didn't catch the deeper spiritual truth. And so what he does is in those last verses, he begins to, to clarify in a, a deeper way what he's really trying to say. And so we're going to get into it. Jesus says, I am the gate. And we're going to identify three things, if you like points or an outline. Or we're going to look at the picture, the relationship, and the beauty of who Jesus is. So let's start with the picture, verses uh, 1 through 5 in John chapter 10. He says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opened the gate for him, and the sheep listened to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, this picture would be really familiar to Jesus' audience in that day. Embedded in the life and history of the Jewish people was raising sheep. You know, if you look back at one of the patriarchs of the faith, Moses, before he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had spent 40 years in Midian uh, shepherding. We think of great King David. He began as a shepherd boy, great training for later leading the children of Israel. We think, uh, wander into the New Testament, those uh, angels that announced the birth of Jesus first announced it to a group of shepherds out in the field. Shepherding was really as common in that day as Amazon delivery is to us today, really. Um, typically, flocks of sheep would be small, and at night, the sheep would be brought into a sheep pen, and the structure was just a simple structure, just an enclosure, four walls, no roof, one door, and uh, there weren't any Lowe's or Home Depot where you could buy materials. Typically, what they do is just collect rocks out of the field, stack up rocks, maybe up to about three feet, and make a pen. And on top of the walls, they'd often place briars or thorns to discourage any uh, critters or thieves that would try and climb over the wall. In Montana, they would call those two-legged critters or four-legged coyotes, something like that, two-legged coyotes. The whole point of the enclosure was to keep the sheep safe at night and sometimes these enclosures were built on the side of someone's home, or it might be an enclosure just out in the open field. Notice this, though, there's only one door.
Rebecca said it well, we are not in control, are we? <laughs> but now I have two hour batteries. <laughs> so uh, plan your lunch accordingly. <laughs> uh, okay, boy, where were we? I said that once here and everybody came back with where I was at. Jim, Jay Johnson. Yeah, yeah, Montana, there we go. <laughs> one gate, that's right. There's only one entrance. And um, if anybody tried to climb in on any other way, it was really a sure sign that they were up to no good. It's like driving into your neighborhood and you see somebody climbing in your neighbor's window. You would think, obviously, they're there for a bad purpose because ordinary people would be using the front door, right? Anybody legitimate. In that day, those shepherds typically had small flocks. And so often in the pen would be several flocks of sheep that would share that pen. And shepherds, you know, they need their sleep too. They'd often hire a night watchman who would guard the door to the sheep pen so sheep wouldn't wander out during the night. I don't know, you probably know about sheep. They have a reputation being just a slight bit stupid. Um, I, I read something a few months ago how in a uh, snowstorm, or a blizzard, sheep will actually walk into it instead of away from it. And uh, I heard uh, over in Northern Ireland, this was in 2013, uh, a group of sheep wandered into a blizzard and they were found 23 days later under six feet of snow and a couple of the sheep were still alive. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, so, but we're really not talking about how dumb sheep are in this passage, that was just a, an extra, okay? <laughs> Um, but the watchman would keep watch over the sheep, uh, keep them from wandering out at night. He'd guard the doorway, and he would only let the owner or the shepherd into that pen. Now, when we think of the gate to this pen, we might imagine a gate with hinges. You've got gates on your yards, and you've got a latch and hinges and all that kind of thing. But more likely, this door, gate, or entrance was just simply an opening to the enclosure. In fact, it's interesting uh, if a night watchman wasn't hired, sometimes a shepherd would actually lay across that doorway himself and sleep at night and uh, just to guard the entrance of that pen. I like the imagery of that when we think about Jesus being the gate, literally, across the entrance. Now, if a watchman was hired the next morning, the shepherd would come to get his own flock. How does he know his own flock? especially when there's several flocks penned up. Well, there's a relationship. Verse 3 of John 10, The watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep listen to his voice. How do they know the voice of the shepherd? He talks to them. They spend all day long listening to him. you got to think about this. You're the only human being out in the field with a flock of sheep. Who are you going to talk to? How many talk to their animals, their, their dogs, cats? Yeah, see, not hard, not hard to understand. And uh, I imagine for the shepherd, it's like company. He talks to them. They get to learn his voice and he guides them and cares for them. And I love how it says he calls them by name. He knows each one personally and gives personal care and attention. There's this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. 
I've never raised sheep. Has anybody raised sheep? Anybody here? Okay, okay. That's good, because I'm talking about sheep, and if I say something wrong, somebody's going to raise their hand and go, uh-uh, I've, I've raised sheep. I've raised horses, did that for a few years. I've raised beef cattle, did that for a few years. I do remember some concerned friends asking me, how are you going to be able to turn those cows into food? Won't your kids get attached to them and make them pets? Well, my solution was simple. Give the cows very personal pet names. Big Mac, <laughs> Ribeye, T-Bone. Mm -hmm. We never had a problem. Never had a problem. So here's a shepherd. He knows his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He knows them by name. He, they know his voice. And really, it's this relationship of trust. It says in verse 4, when the shepherd has brought out all his sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. The sheep knows each one. And as they're coming out of the pen, like a good Marine, nobody's left behind. He makes sure they all come out. And in that culture, the shepherd actually led his sheep. Now, in our, um, our culture, even in like uh, New Zealand and stuff, they drive the sheep and then they have a, a sheepdog that nips at the heels of the sheep. But in those days, in that part of the country, they lead the sheep, which is really cool when you think about this picture of discipleship. Uh, wherever the sheep go, the shepherd's already been there and he knows the way. And he makes sure it's safe and leads them to good pasture. And the sheep follow. And the reason they follow is because they trust him. They know his voice. I think there's a great spiritual application for us in this. How, how do we learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd? How do you get to learn his voice? Let me throw it out to you. How do we get to, to recognize the voice of our good shepherd? Prayer? Okay. How else? The Word. He speaks through the Word. And the more we get into the Word of God, the more we learn to recognize the voice of the shepherd, really. And you know, there are so many voices in our world and culture today that call for our attention. But we learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd by getting into the Word and spending time there. And it's not going to happen without reading the Word and listening and meditating and memorizing on God's word, and that's how we learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd. Recently, we had a fundraiser. Uh, I didn't really do any kind of an intro, but I, my role up at, I, I live in Smoky Point. I'm a pastor at Smoky Point Community Church, and I'm dean of a ministry school up there, a ministry college called Reach Training Institute. And uh, recently, we had a fundraiser. We try and keep our tuition costs low for our students. And uh, at the fundraiser, it's, it's a fun event, uh, I love to have each of the students share about their experience at RTI, and that's always eye-opening and really encouraging because you see growth along the way. But one of the fun things we decided to do this year is one of our students put together a quiz for our audience, and it was titled, Is This Really in the Bible? That was interesting. I would say among the whole audience, most people didn't even get half right. Now, I know it would have been a different experience if I was doing that with Brookview, because you guys are well-educated, but um, <laughs> it, it shows me 
that, and, and this is true, there's a lot of what you'd say is biblical illiteracy today. People don't know their word, and they'll come up with a statement, and I've had so many people in the office, and they'll go, well, God helps those who help themselves. That's a Bible verse, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> and I'll look at them like, okay, go find that for me, would you? Um, we need to be people of the word to know the voice of the shepherd. Now, verse 5, it says, but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not rec recognize a stranger's voice. There's no relationship with the stranger. No trust has been built. Now comes the verse, it's kind of the verse that separates these two sections. It says in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So far, Jesus' audience were hanging in there. They got the picture, shepherds, sheep, and pens, four walls, no roof, one door, but they failed to catch the deeper meaning of what Jesus was trying to share with them that day. Clearly, he wasn't just talking about raising sheep, like shepherding 101. What really prompted the illustration, the sheep, the shepherds, the watchmen, the thieves, and the robbers climbing over the walls, what really prompted this discussion really is a result of the previous chapter. If we look at John chapter 9, Jesus had just healed a man that had been born blind. An incredible miracle. Suddenly, this man was able to see and it really should have confirmed to everyone that Jesus was truly sent from God. Yet the Pharisees didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They couldn't deny the miracle. Here was a man who had been blind, now he could see, but they weren't going to uh, at all give Jesus any credit as being divine. They refused to acknowledge who Jesus was. And instead of rejoicing with this man that could now see, they actually threw him out of the synagogue. The religious leaders of the day consider themselves actually shepherds of the people. But instead of caring for people and feeding them and pointing them to true spiritual life in God, they were threatening, intimidating, and harassing the people. And this is what prompted the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Now Jesus is going to share the deeper meaning. Verses 7 to 9, he says this, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Twice, Jesus says, I am the gate. Not just one gate among many, but the one and only gate. And those who enter through me will be saved. You know, in our culture today, to say there's only one way of salvation is way too restrictive, too confining, too, too narrow-minded. And yet Jesus never waffled, never apologized, never backtracked. In fact, Matthew 7, he says, uh, broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
You know, there's all kinds of religious systems in our world that claim some kind of approach or path to spiritual life. In fact, there are those that knock on your front door hoping for an opportunity to share some path that really is a false gospel, a counterfeit to the truth. Funny story. One of our church members years ago opened the front door to some folks peddling a false gospel. She invited them into her living room, and she knew they were sharing false teaching, but she apparently thought that she could change their minds. So after she invited them into the living room, she went to her back bedroom and got on her cell phone and gave me a call, and she goes, Bryce, they're now in my living room. Now what do I say? Don't do that. Don't do that to your pastor. That's the call you don't want to answer. I don't even remember how that ended up, but I can say this. If you're in a conversation with someone and not sure what they believe, probably one of the best ways to find out if their belief is valid or not is ask them what they believe about Jesus. Every false religion contains false information about the person of Christ. And how would you know if it's false? You spend time in the Bible, learning about Jesus in the Bible. Jesus declares himself as the gate, and he states, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. He's not talking about John the Baptist. He's not talking about Old Testament prophets. He's really talking about the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of that day who were offering and trying to offer spiritual life apart from Jesus, apart from Christ. They're like thieves and robbers who climb over the wall and reject the very door that leads to life. Years ago, I was on a train heading towards Spokane. I was actually headed to South Dakota to a friend's wedding, and it was over the Christmas holiday. Uh, I think it was a day before Christmas. Weird time to be on a train, I, I suppose. Um, but as we were traveling towards Spokane, uh, a young man came and sat down beside me and handed me a book. And it was titled Dianetics by Ron L. Hubbard. Ever heard of that? Yeah. Scientology. I didn't know much about it at the time. He left the book with me and he said, hey, look through this book. I'd love to discuss it with you. I thumbed through it. It wasn't long thumbing through this where I go, man, this is just out there. You know, this is not gospel in any sense. It was all based on humanism and uh, the ability of man uh, to use his mind over everything. And he came back, sat down, we got into a conversation, and finally I was able to share with him the joy and the peace that I found in Jesus of the Bible. And finally, out of frustration, he stood up and he goes, you believe just like the rest of my family. And he left. Uh, he took his book, too. Didn't even leave me a free book. <laughs> a few minutes later, a lady came and sat down beside me. And uh, she had been sitting uh, a few rows behind me, and she, she said, that was my brother you were talking to. She goes, I heard your conversation, and I was praying for you the whole time. She goes, we're all believers in our family, but my brother is the black sheep of the family, and we're praying that he comes to know Jesus. We've been disconnected for years, and this Christmas we're finally all getting together in Spokane. And it was a great time to just pray with her that her brother would come to know Jesus. You know, there are many religions around the world, but there's only one gate, one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. He's the only way of salvation. 
Now, what qualifies Jesus as the only way? You know, the Bible states this, we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. And it was, a, it was Jesus who offered himself as the solution for our sin. Being sinless, he died on the cross in our place, paying the penalty that we deserve as our substitute so that we could come to know the forgiveness of the Father and be restored in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. There is no other way. And you know, if there was another way of salvation, then Jesus would have died for nothing. But he didn't die for nothing. He died for you and me that we might be saved. You have to say, the way of salvation is exclusive. There's only one way. But the good news and the beauty of it is it's inclusive. All are invited. All are invited. It says in the scripture, yet to all who received him, to those that believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. I love this picture of our life in Christ. It, what it's not saying is every time you go out the gate, you, you, you lose your salvation, so then you have to come back through the door. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. Really, when we enter through Christ, we find safety and protection, and we find family and belonging. We find provision and blessing. We cannot know the safety of the sheep pen unless we come in through the gate. We cannot know the goodness of the pasture unless you go out the gate and follow where he's leading. So really, when, you're, when you come to Christ, your life is secure and he will lead you and guide you into what is good. He not only rescues us from death, but he nourishes our spiritual life. Verse 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. We often quote that verse in reference to our enemy, and certainly he qualifies. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. But the thief represents anyone or anything that seeks to pull you away from Jesus as the, the way of salvation and the way to abundant life. Anything that pulls you away is a thief. And the thief, remember, doesn't come through the door. They climb over the walls. They refuse to come through Jesus. And these words, steal and kill and destroy, are really progressive in nature. The thief wants to steal your life that belongs to God. He wants to take away from your life. He wants to steal your peace and your joy, your love, your security, your hope. He wants to kill. And you know, this word kill means to kill for food. In other words, there's this selfish motive on the thief's part where he kills for his own benefit. He wants to feed himself. He takes from your life to feed his own. And the thief also destroys. He wants to destroy all that's beautiful, all that's godly, all that's in harmony with God's righteousness and goodness and peace. He wants to destroy that. And notice Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Only. He only has bad intentions. He doesn't have you in mind. Nothing good. He has nothing about your own welfare in mind, only harm. 
and destruction. Maybe a, a practical question to ask is what, what is the thief in your life? What has the potential to pull you away from Jesus? What steals your time with Jesus? Is it social media, entertainment, busyness? What steals your love for Jesus? What acts as the thief? Is it the love for the things of this world or temporary pleasures it offers? What steals our joy in Jesus? Is it looking at the world instead of looking to God and trusting that he's still in charge? The beauty is the good news that Jesus brings. He says this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. This word full means beyond measure, over and above, more than necessary, extraordinary. Having a surplus, the kind of life that God offers you and I is so much more than what this world has to offer. I love how King David, himself a shepherd, as he talks about his good shepherd, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What's he saying? I find abundant life in the life I find through my good shepherd. You know, the thief comes to steal. Jesus comes to give. The thief comes to kill. Jesus came to bring eternal life. The thief comes to destroy. Jesus came to heal and restore and trade ashes for beauty and bring us into a life of abundance, spiritual freedom and forgiveness and peace and joy and satisfaction. That's what Jesus wants to give us. Jesus said this, I am the gate. There's a welcome. You're invited. And if you've never come through the gate, I would encourage you. Turn to Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I understand that you are my good shepherd. You died on the cross in my place and I turn to follow you and I accept what you've done as a substitute for me. Forgive me and be my good shepherd and lead my life. That's the welcome. The warning is this. There could be a thief that's pulling you away from Jesus. I think the best way to keep from following the way of the thief is follow the shepherd. He's going to lead you into good places, places of abundance, places of growth, places of nourishment, places of strength, places of hope. Follow the shepherd. I am the gate. I am the gate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are the way to life. I thank you that you have uh, brought not only salvation, but you bring uh, a kind of life that is an abundant, full life that meets our longings and meets our needs, and they're found in you. Father, I pray that if there are any here that do not have a relationship with you, that you would lead them through the gate into salvation. And Father, for us as we uh, travel, may we follow you closely as our shepherd. And Lord, lead us to the green pastures and the abundant places of life that we so desperately need. So we thank you 
for this revelation of yourself, and we thank you that you've given yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.